Hello, welcome to Okawa Book Club. So we're your hosts, I'm Dylan. I'm John. And we're going to be discussing the teachings of Riho Okawa. Riho Okawa is a world teacher, master, and CEO of Happy Science Group. All right, so today we will be talking about The Essence of Buddha, The Path to Enlightenment by Riho Okawa. So this is one of his best-selling books, and I will go into the chapter titles of this book. Chapter 1 is The Journey to Enlightenment. Chapter 2, The Eightfold Path. Chapter 3, The Six Paramitas. Chapter 4, The Concept of the Void. Chapter 5, The Law of Causality. Chapter 6, The Philosophy of Human Perfection. So this book really teaches the essence of Buddha's teachings. I'd like to ask my partner, John, to read from the preface of this book. In the preface, Ryokawa states, This book was written in simple language to offer modern people an accessible explanation of Shakyamuni Buddha's inner thoughts. In referencing Theravada and Mahayana schools of Buddhism, Ryokawa states, but the essence of both schools originated in his own teachings during his life, as well as his own guidance from heaven to his disciples on earth. And the preface to the original edition has a good quote as well. Could you read that? It gives me great joy to publish this book, The Essence of Buddha. I have used simple language to elucidate Shakyamuni's core teachings so that a newcomer to Buddhism will have little trouble grasping their essence. This book offers an overview of his entire philosophy and gives you a clear outline of his teachings. Thank you. So this book, it really goes into the essence of what Shakyamuni Buddha himself taught. And there are so many sects and so many schools of Buddhism, and they all developed much after Shakyamuni's life. So going back to the teacher's original teachings is the surest way to grasp the essence of his words. And so this book teaches us that there are truths within Theravada Buddhism, within Mahayana Buddhism, but essentially, everything comes back to some basic points, which we will learn in this book. And among them is that atheism is not the intention of Buddha. He never taught such teachings about materialism and atheism, which the modern-day scholars, university professors, and other intellectual leaders tend to interpret his teachings as. We go back to the true wisdom that Buddha taught, and we're going to discuss those teachings today. The first chapter of this book is about the journey of Buddha's enlightenment. So Buddha, he was originally a prince, and then he went into the forest and did meditation and tried to develop his wisdom. So when he was doing that, he attained great enlightenment, and his teachings became highly revered to the people of that area. But essentially, we can get back to the core of his teachings by thinking about a few things, such as the Eightfold Path or the Six Paramitas, Concept of Void, etc. But what teachings in this book really stood out to you as very uh, powerful or things that struck your mind and your soul? Well, I mean, prior to reading this book, like I, I was a practicing Buddhist for several years. And I would say, first and foremost, the entirety of the teachings in this book really provide a solid foundation of what Buddhism really is without having to search through in 20 different schools of Buddhism and different types of teachings. And I really enjoyed and appreciate the process of arhat to bodhisattva and so on and so forth and how these are things that we are perpetually engaging in. It's like the path to becoming an arhat is described in this book as 
associated with the Eightfold Path. Hmm. And so those practices are daily things that we would engage in continuously. And then the six paramitas are essentially putting those things into practice. But just because you're on the path to becoming a bodhisattva and putting those things into practice, it doesn't mean you ever stop the daily practices associated with the Eightfold Path, which bring you to become the Arhat. And I found that to just be just an incredible reminder, you know, of the importance of like discipline and vigilance uh, on this path. Mm, yes, that's so true. So there is essentially a single path that we all can walk upon. The teachings of Buddha puts humankind on this path towards enlightenment. Buddha taught the middle way, the path to human perfection. And essentially the middle way is a path which we discard pain and pleasure, both asceticism and indulgence. Buddha was raised in a castle with so many beautiful women, but he decided to step away from that path in order to practice the rigor of enlightenment. However, he didn't go so far as some people who would walk barefoot through the mountains until their feet were bleeding, or who stood underneath a waterfall trying to attain enlightenment through pain. But Buddha taught to discard both pain and pleasure and find the middle way, which is the true path of enlightenment. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, I think on his journey to enlightenment, after denouncing his position as a prince, he really did go from one extreme of living in you know, lavish wealth to interacting with these various spiritual teachers who you know, were doing extreme ascetic practices. And the path to enlightenment has many stages. It's not something instantaneous. There's no such thing as instant enlightenment. But we go through these arduous trials and we understand ourselves more deeply. And then we start understanding others more deeply. And by basing our meditation and our philosophy upon Buddha's words, we can really clarify a lot of these confusing concepts in our life. The essence of Buddha's teachings really gets back to how to attain inner happiness, the wisdom to conquer our ego, and the path to human perfection. And by following Riho Okawa's simple and accessible language, people in our contemporary era can really understand the way of life that anyone can practice to achieve lifelong self-growth, compassionate living, and true happiness. So it is, the essence of Buddha is simple. That's the easiest way to say it. Buddha did not want to confuse people with complicated terminology as we see in the modern Buddhist schools. His teachings are presented straightforwardly and simply so that all the people can understand. Yeah, and I really appreciated that of the essence of Buddha. And it's a reason I continue to go and go back and reference it is that it essentially just demystifies what Buddhism is really about. It's almost like, you know, these scholars and these professors, they use this complicated language so that people don't understand the flaws in their arguments. Right. If they spoke simply, people would realize what they're saying is a little bit strange. So that's why Riho Okawa speaks simply, straightforwardly, so you can see the logical conclusions of every argument. Okay, so we talked about the Eightfold Path a little bit, but could you describe the eight steps of the Eightfold Path or just the names of each of the eight steps? So the Eightfold Path comprised of eight steps, which are practiced simultaneously, essentially. Are right view, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And something remarkable about the essence of Buddha, you know, in this book is that 
the concept of what is right is it's not necessarily something human derived you know what is right correlates with what is right in the perspective of god or buddha that pure primordial essence of buddha mm -hmm. the reason riho kawa can teach these teachings as we've talked about in some previous episodes is he like shakyamuni buddha attained great enlightenment and he experienced that extremely mystical phenomenon of his spiritual body expanding to become one with the entire universe. And from that, he attained the great wisdom to be able to teach the laws that govern the universe. And like Buddha, he essentially started out by teaching his disciples the way to refine their mind, the way to refine their spirit, and through abandoning ego, through abandoning desire, and purifying their mind through self-reflection, that essentially allowed the disciples to begin to walk the path of enlightenment, just like Buddha did. And now, Riholkawa is teaching the laws and the essence of Buddha's teachings, and that is the fundamental reason he decided to publish this book. You know, John, you mentioned about the Eightfold Path. But could I ask you to, to name the next steps which go on further in our path of enlightenment, the six paramitas? Sure, though. <clears throat> the six paramitas are the perfection of offering, the perfection of observing the precepts, the perfection of perseverance, the perfection of effort, the perfection of meditation, and the perfection of wisdom. Yeah, that's wonderful. So if the Eightfold Path allows us to purify our mind, the six paramitas allow us to act in the most right and perfect way as human beings on the path of human perfection. So it's, a, it's an action plan. And the bodhisattvas who have attained such a mental state, they're the ones who do something in this world to make it a better place. They're the ones who are accomplishing something to make the world and the civilization more developed in the righteous manner. So, the six paramitas is the true path to become a bodhisattva, and it is a path of spiritual discipline and altruistic living. So, thanks for talking about that, John. Sure. Next, I wanted to talk about a very, very difficult concept, a concept called the void. The void is maybe one of the most misinterpreted teachings of Buddhism. Some people think it means that nothing exists, so there is no purpose in life. What the void really is, is a teaching which liberates our soul from the material constraints, as well as a theory to bridge spirituality and physics. So could you elucidate on the concept of void in, in your own words? Sure. I mean, and prior to reading this book, I'll state outright, I, my understanding of the void was something entirely different. My understanding of it now is that the void is essentially a way of explaining the way that matter exists in this physical universe is being something constantly in a state of dynamic flux. Mm. So everything is in a state of change nonstop. So there isn't anything static in that mm -hmm. void correlation with that. And then I think a deeper layer of that understanding is that the void is a way of explaining the light of God or uh, Buddha in the purest and most primordial and highest sense as something that is uh, pervasive throughout all of existence on all dimensions and all planes. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's really incredible. You know, since Buddha taught that all matter is void, it's kind of shocking to, to hear that for the first time. You'll be confused as to what he means by that. 
But it's essentially saying that we see everything as solid objects with our physical eyes. However, that's not the true state of the world. Although material things of this world seem real, they are optical illusions. At the core and the essence of everything is spirit, and it is Buddha's willpower that makes all things live. And when I say Buddha in this context, I'm referring to primordial Buddha, the fundamental existence which exists since the beginning of the universe. So the eternal Buddha created all things in this world, and all things are manifestations of his will. If he wished to make everything vanish, he could. If he wished to create something new, he can. It is the fundamental way that Christians understand God, but in Buddhism it's this understanding that at the essence of all things lies the primordial Buddha's will to make things live. And that teaches us that we shouldn't be attached to material objects, we shouldn't be entrapped by our physical desires, Everything in this world is just a temporary projection for us to train our souls much further. So that means that the two biggest mistakes in Buddhism in the past have been egolessness and void, and that's why we're talking about that today. So thank you for your words. And next I'd like to talk about another difficult concept. So this is the law of causality, the law of cause and effect. In Buddhism there's this idea that you sow seeds, and then these seeds, you have to nurture them, then they grow and they produce a fruit. So if they are good seeds, they'll produce a good fruit. If they are bad seeds, they'll produce a bad fruit. And it's essentially making us responsible for our own lives. It is teaching us that it is our thoughts, it is our deeds that will result in the things which happen to us in the future. And we can expect good results if we do good things continuously. So, how would you describe this law of causality? Uh, well, I think the law of causality, <clears throat> it, it's definitely a concept that's like, it's so simple that you can easily misunderstand it. Because it, it it's cause and effect. And I think the reason that I think it's so easy to misunderstand is perhaps because so many of us have been conditioned to not assume a sense of responsibility in our lives. And or even just like being responsible for our thoughts and understanding that our thoughts are things that come to fruition. Even though if you are, you know, like practicing the Eightfold Path and the Six Parameters, you will come to that realization that your thoughts do come to fruition as a physical manifestation. And so the law of causality, you know, this idea is, you know, what goes around comes around essentially. Our fortunes and misfortunes are going to be oriented by what we did in the past. And that means that being mindful and willful about what we do in the present is also going to manifest our fortunes or misfortunes in the future. Mm, absolutely. So this word karma also comes into play when we talk about that. But the real meaning of the word karma and its origin is just the word action. Action is karma. So our actions become our karma. And that means that we can have good actions which become good karma or bad actions which become bad karma. I know that I've heard people in the past say, I have bad karma, so please pray my bad karma away. Please remove my bad karma with a mystical spell or something like that. But Buddha is not lenient when it comes to that. Buddha makes us experience the results of our past actions. That's a fundamental law which governs this entire universe. So if we want our karma to be better, we have to change our actions and change our tendencies, which means to know who we are, which way we tend to act, 
and then try to correct that through our own volition. And that also takes us to the next step of human perfection, which is the path to enlightenment. If everything is based on this idea of self-responsibility, we might become overly critical of others. But Buddha teaches us to be strict with ourselves and compassionate and generous to others. So this is the way we should operate in this world of soul training. If we just think completely logically about every decision, it might lead us to become overly critical of other people, but by doing so, we are essentially shifting blame and responsibility away from ourselves, and then we are making it harder for us to improve ourselves in this world of soul training. Through practicing the right spiritual training for us, which means maybe starting with the beginning of the Eightfold Path and then starting to improve ourselves through stepping up through the eight levels of the Eightfold Path. And only once we are fully aware of overcoming our past mistakes, stepping up to maybe conduct the six paramitas, by doing this rigorous soul training, we essentially put ourselves in a position where we can approach enlightenment further and further and approach human perfection further and further. Is there anything you'd like to say about human perfection and other such kinds of teachings? Well, uh, <laughs> I think just that it's, you know, it's a lifelong endeavor and probably continues after this lifetime is finished and throughout many lifetimes. So it's not, I, I've met so many people over the years who are so focused on attaining enlightenment as though it's just the static thing, even though obviously, you know, just through the concept of teaching of the void, we know that there is no, there are no static things. Mm. So I think just understanding that as long as your intention is towards enlightenment and you're practicing the Eightfold Path and the Six Paramitas, you'll experience enlightenment and mm. as a consequence of those things, as a, as a karmic consequence. Mm. Absolutely. And if you really want to humble yourself and sober yourself to the realities of the spiritual world, I do recommend reading the last two sections of the final chapter of this book, which teaches that it takes three lives on a row, on average, for an arhat to become a bodhisattva. It is extremely difficult to qualify as a bodhisattva. And then it talks about the even more difficult rigors to achieve the state of Tathagata, which is the eighth dimensional enlightenment which means you must fulfill 80 to 90% of your mission each lifetime, regardless of the region and time you are born into, and continue that upper-level bodhisattva enlightenment lifetime after lifetime. And it takes thousands of years to accomplish these things, or tens of thousands of years, and multiple reincarnations. So Buddha wants us to be strict with ourselves, and this teaching will teach us how to be strict with ourselves, just how hard it is to achieve the great enlightenment of the higher dimensions. So to end today, I'd like to read from the afterword of this book, which teaches the same teachings that we were just talking about. The path to enlightenment is indeed difficult and demanding, but your strong determination will take you to the starting line and serve as the driving force to reach the ultimate goal. It would be my greatest pleasure, as the author of this book, if this book serves as a guide for your eternal spiritual evolution. So that concludes today's book club. So The Essence of Buddha is available at major bookstores such as Barnes & Noble. It's also available online at Amazon.com. 
and you can learn more about it at okawabooks.com. It was great talking to you again, John. Likewise, Dylan. In these trying times, stay happy, healthy, and positive.